us and let's celebrate the gospel message as well as we worship and praise our God forevermore. We sing.
Good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning, whether that's in person or online um, with your family or your community group. We are glad you're here. Um, my name is Tori Vaughn, and this is Mark Schatzman, um, and we're a part of the Bentonville team here at Fellowship. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have um, felt the weather recently. It's been beautiful outside. Um, I've woken up and taken my dog out and just breathed in the cool, crisp fall air. I'm like, yes, fall is here, which means football games and campfires and um, these cute FSM um, stickers that we're gonna be handing out to all of you seventh through 12th grade students in FSM. We'll have them next week, and so you need to come by and grab one from, from us. Um, and also, one of my favorite things is pumpkin spice lattes are back, which, of course. Mark, you've had a few of those, uh, haven't you? A few in our home have purchased a few, <laughs> right. I'll just say that. I haven't had one yet, but I am excited for them. And so we're excited about fall, and here at Fellowship, um, fall also means fellowship small groups, and growth opportunities for you and your family. And so we're actually gonna put a QR code up here on the screen. And if you have your cell phone, I want you to take it out right now and open up the camera and point it to this QR code. And actually you have to zoom in a little bit on your phone and it's gonna pull up a link for you. Um, and on that link, you're gonna see all that we're launching this fall. And so you're gonna see training center classes, small groups, women's studies, retreats, and so much more. And, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, I know I've been taking some training center classes and they've been amazing and, and in a community group and it's, it's been incredible um, because God has been at work in this place and in Northwest Arkansas. And so we do not want you to miss what God is doing. We've actually seen across the board just a hunger for God's word and, and for people to know him. Uh, actually, I have a sweet story. So one of my eighth grade cell group leaders texted me on Wednesday and they have been going through the book of James together. And to start off cell group, one of the goals that the girls had was that they wanted to memorize scripture together. They wanted to be challenged to memorize and write God's word on their heart. And so my leader texted me and said that this is the third week in a row that every girl in the group has come with a verse out of James memorized. And I actually have a video that she sent me of the girls and I wanted to share it um, with you guys. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trial of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I probably played that video like 50 times since she sent it to me because it just makes my heart happy um, that eighth grade girls are studying the word and they want to know Jesus deeper. And so that's, that's not just a um, uncommon thing. We've seen God work in, in a ton of different ministries. Mark, you were just telling me the other day how you've seen him work in small groups in the yeah, community ministry. Yeah, but before that, I'll just say um, <laughs> the eighth grade boys group that meets in my home that I led were also doing the exact same passage in James. They didn't memorize James. The goal this week, the big goal was, could you memorize each other's names? Really close. We got really close this week. So I also could have shot a video of that yeah. as well. 
Uh, and adults, so if you were up in Bentonville right now driving around, the first thing you'd see right off the highway, obviously, is a church building beginning to pop out of the ground and actually begin to go vertical. And that's great news. But, but the more exciting news is the fact that Jesus is still doing what he promised he will always do, which is build his church. That's his promise. Ours is just to participate in that. And he's doing so in the fact that new works of God are popping up out of the ground as well. And, and so we saw 20 new adult community groups launch in the last week and a half. Uh, and that's, that's on top of even things like new men's groups, new women's groups, mm-hmm. and of course the junior high and high school small groups that Tori just talked about. Uh, with that 20 brand new community groups is 28 new leaders who've never led a small group before. So just imagine being in their shoes. That first meeting is happening and they are nervous. They just want to get through the evening without, you know, bombing, right? And all of a sudden they see that that God is still using their efforts to pull people together around his word, and it's exciting. Uh, we actually get a chance to participate just as much, even this morning, even right now, even online, if that's where you're participating in worship, we get a chance to join in with God's eternal purposes as well. And we do that through something called worship. Because worship will continue to happen in the heavenly realms on and on and on. And right now in these few minutes, we get a chance to participate in an eternal purpose of God. Do you know how worship happens in the human heart? Worship happens every time two things collide in your heart. When awe meets gratitude, worship happens. Which is why you see in the Psalms, particularly Psalm 24 this morning, uh, David doing a call to worship, and you're going to hear as I read this psalm, awe and gratitude coming together. He's in awe over this powerful God who's created all, but he's also grateful that this is the God who allows us to come into his presence and offer salvation. Hey, as I read the scriptures, would you stand this morning? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and salvation from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Yahweh strong and mighty. The Lord Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory.
I appreciate Mark doing call to worship from the book of Psalms. And if you've been attending services or viewing online the past few weeks, one common thread that you have seen is we have spent some time in the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. Last week, Seth walked through Psalm 139 as we got to pray, search me, know my heart. And then the week before when we got to look at Psalm 66, where we got to see shout for joy all the earth. Offer up your praise to the creator God. And today, the rest of our time of worship through song, we're gonna rest in Psalm 71. So I invite you just to posture your heart, maybe even posture your body during this time in a way of receiving grace from God through his word. As we look at a psalm today that realizes that we face trials and troubles and even victories in this world. But who is our hope? Who is our help? Listen closely for the answer this morning. Psalm 71, verse one. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, Rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Take a moment and rest in that. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him, seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. sing of our hope and our dependence on him we sing Lord I need you oh I
My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come.
Righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things. Who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Jesus, baby. 
let's sing of what he's done. for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him, Jesus Christ. The spotless lamb who died and rose again and is coming back. So God, until that day when we continue to worship you, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We join with creation and sing. And would we be a people of your word? So now, as we approach your word, would you humble us? God, would you open the eyes of our heart to hear what you would have to say? Do what only you can do in this place through your spirit and through your word and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin this morning by giving a shout out to this group of people here. This is our buildings and grounds team at Fellowship Bible Church. They take care of everything inside and out. Oh, y'all are ready. Let's do it. 
Yeah, they've been working really hard to clean our facility. The facility's the cleanest it's ever been in the history of our church right now. And to get it ready for you, spacing out and all that kind of thing. And, and as I drive on our campus, I'm amazed at the beauty that they've created here at Fellowship Rogers. And as I walk around our buildings, I just notice that every single facility that we have, regardless of its age, looks like it's brand new, even though some of these buildings were built in the early 90s. And they have a standard. It's called the Fellowship Look and Feel that they grade themselves by, and they work really hard. So thank you for appreciating them. They, are, uh, they have my gratefulness. And I want you to look right in the front of that group. That's Tom Sinclair, Mr. Tom. Some of you know Mr. Tom, especially some of you moms and dads who drop your kids off for our Adventureland program midweek. Uh, Mr. Tom's worked here for 20 years as one of our custodians, and he doesn't just clean, he ministers. He always has a, a joke, a word, an encouragement for us as a staff or for you as you're here. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Tom retired. And so in COVID, because you're not allowed to have fun, we had a drive-by thank you for Mr. Tom. And the cars were lined up around the parking lot, and, and we came by. And then last week, we had a staff meeting, a staff chapel, and we recognized him. Check out this standing over. Tom Sinclair, where are you? There you are. I see you. Come up here, would you please? Okay, I'll get over here and keep my social distance. Ah. Our process of catching him doing something right. What a great leadership principle. It's fundamental that we caught him doing something right. Good leaders traffic in the currency of appreciation, a gratefulness, and commendation and celebration and applause. And last week, we got to do that. And that's what we're gonna see in our passage this morning. We're gonna see the leader of the New Testament church movement catch one of his churches doing right. But before we even get there, I'm gonna give you some application before we even start the sermon. Is that okay? Catch someone doing something right this week. For those of you who are married, Catch your spouse doing something right. Couldn't they use a word of encouragement? Parents, grandparents, we are really good at saying, stop that, don't do that, put that down. Take that out of your brother's mouth. But what if we caught our kids doing right? Hey, kids, students, catch your siblings, your brothers and sisters doing right. So I challenge you, whether at home or even in the workplace, for those of you who supervise others, catch people doing right. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul, New Testament evangelist, missionary, church planner, write a letter of thanks, write a letter of commendation, appreciating and celebrating one of his newest churches, and he's going to catch them doing right. And he writes the letter to the church at Thessalonica. And we're going to be studying this letter, 1 Thessalonians, throughout the fall. It is a part of a greater series we've been in all year called 
clarity. And so we'll be finishing out clarity by studying 1 Thessalonians. Now, you're going to hear some of our staff say Thessalonica. Or in modern day Greece, I've driven by the sign. It's actually spelled with an N-I-K-K-I at the end. Some may even go as far as to say Thessaloniki. I'm going to stick with the Johnson County, Arkansas traditional phraseology, the American way. I'm going to go with Thessalonica. Don't email me. For those of you at home, they laughed. That was an awesome joke. Hey, our passage today is a continuation of the first opening lines of of Thessalonians. And, And Paul has been writing in gratefulness and thanksgiving. Let's review last week's verses. We'll look at verses two to seven. Look at verse two. It says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's catching them doing things right. He's appreciating them. He goes on in verse four. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul opened his letter with gratefulness. He caught them doing things right. Many times when Paul would write a letter to a church that he had visited or planted, he would write to them to correct something in their doctrine or to bring discipline upon them, but not here. First Thessalonians is a thank you letter. Paul is expressing thankfulness that the message of Jesus had been genuinely received by the Thessalonians with deep conviction. And also he encourages them that they had quickly become serious about their faith. The first Thessalonians were the real deal. They were authentically in love with the Lord. They were passionately walking in obedience. These were spiritual studs. And Paul considered them a model worthy of imitation. So he goes on and on bragging about them. And that's where we're going to pick up today. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Now, we only have three verses to study today. And I know what you're thinking. Sweet, we're gonna get out of here early, but uh uh uh. I'm gonna take my full time. In fact, I've decided to take some extra time today. No early dismissal, not gonna happen. Hey, let's take a look. Verse 8 Paul catches the Thessalonians doing right. It says, The Lord's message rang out from you. And not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Again, Paul's positivity about the Thessalonian church is evident. 
He is piling on the praise here. And in these three verses, we see the apostle offer four positive descriptions, four reasons why this church deserves his appreciation, four reasons why the Thessalonians are a joy to his heart. So as we work through the passage, verse by verse, let's look for these four descriptions, and not only to learn about the Thessalonian church, but also to have a point of evaluation and application for us as individuals as well. So here are the four things. The Thessalonians were a church that was proclaiming, that was turning, that was serving, and that was waiting. As they pursued Jesus, these four things were observed in them by their leader, the Apostle Paul. So let's begin with proclaiming. Look at verse 8. It says that the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. The Thessalonians were a group of people who not only received the message of Jesus and were transformed by it, but they began to testify about the Lord. They began to proclaim the message. The text says it rang out or it sounded forth from them. Now that phrase you see in the text, rang out, where it says the Lord's message rang out from you. That comes from the Greek word exekeomai. And exekeomai, it's translated into English in the New International Version as rang out. It's translated into the English Standard Version as sound forth. And it is a word that means to ring like a bell or to blare like a trumpet. It has this idea of emitting a sound that carries a far distance. The term comes from the root word ekos. It's where we get our word echo. So here's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, the Lord's message rang out from you. It sounded forth from you. It echoed from you like a bell ringing across the landscape. Now, for you students who are in the room or watching online or you children, you're really familiar with a bell. You hear one every day, several times at your school because the school bell rings loud enough for everyone to hear it and for no one to miss it, and it signifies for you that it's time to change classes. And Paul is saying that this particular church, the church at Thessalonica, the Lord's message was echoing from them. It was reverberating from them. It was ringing out from them like a bell across the landscape. Now, Paul says the message rang out. And, and in this first 10 verses of the letter, Paul refers to the message or the gospel or the word of the Lord. And in all of those references, he's referring to the same thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let me remind you of what that is. Here's a working definition of the gospel or the message of the Lord for our series. The gospel is the good news of the holy God saving sinful man through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is simply the good news of what Jesus did for you and for me. And it contains a problem, a solution, and it demands a response. The problem is that sin separates us from a holy God. Can we all admit it? We've all messed up. 
None of us have lived a perfect life. We've all made mistakes, disobeyed the rules and broken God's laws. The Bible calls that sin and it separates us from God. Well, then there's a solution. The solution is that Jesus died on the cross to pay sin's debt. He was raised from the dead in victory over sin's penalty. The punishment that we deserve was placed upon him on the cross. And in Jesus, we can find forgiveness and new life. And that is good news. Amen? So there's a problem, there's a solution. And it demands a response. Not only do we hear the gospel, but we respond to it. It's good news that elicits in us a change in our lives. We turn from our sin and we place our faith in Jesus. We ask for forgiveness and we receive the eternal life he offers us. This is the gospel. This is the message that was ringing out, that was sounding forth from the Thessalonians church. Good news of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in the Son. And look at the gospel progression that was described in the Thessalonian church in the first 10 verses of the letter. In verse five, it says that the message came to you. In verse six, it says you welcomed it. And now in verse eight, it says it sounded forth from you. So the good news of Jesus had reached the Thessalonians. They heard it. But then they didn't just hear it in word, but they welcomed it. They received it. They believed in it, and it made a difference in their lives. They were transformed by it. It says that the gospel came to them not only in word, but in power and in deep conviction. And finally, they did not just hear the gospel, and they did not just believe the gospel, but they began to share it. The gospel reverberated from them. Let me pause right here. Do you see the gospel progression in your life? Now, I know you've heard the gospel. I just shared it with you and we just sang it. Jesus paid it what? All to him we what? Sin has left a crimson stain, but he has washed us white as. I know you've heard it. But have you welcomed it? Have you received it in your heart? Have you come to that point in your life where you understand that Jesus died for me to forgive my mistakes, to give me eternal life? And then lastly, have you taken personal responsibility to proclaim it, to share it with those around you? Hey, I wanna stop right here. If you've never gotten to that second step where you've not just heard the good news of Jesus, but you've received it into your life, I want to stop right now and pray and give you an opportunity to profess your faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me? And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never come to that point in your life where you personally ask Jesus to forgive you and be your savior, you can do that right now. Would you Repeat these words between you and the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of the mistakes I've made in life. And Lord, I turn to you in faith and belief and ask you to give me eternal life in heaven with you.
Amen. Now we see this in the, 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 the Thessalonians. The gospel progressed. It evolved in their lives. They heard it, then they welcomed it, and then they began to proclaim it. You know, there is a symbiotic relationship between the gospel and the church. The church and the gospel have an interdependence upon one another. One of my favorite Bible commentators, John Stott, said this about that relationship. It is by the gospel the church exists and by the church that the gospel spreads. The gospel is that initial spark. It's that initial seed of spiritual life that is watered and, and comes to life within the church. But then it's the church that becomes the entity that spreads that seed, that spreads the gospel. The receivers become the sharers. And that's what Paul is encouraging in the Thessalonian church. That's how he's catching them doing right in verse 8. He says, the Lord's message is now ringing out from you. You have progressed very quickly from being the receivers of the message to being the sharers of the message. You have progressed from being the hearers of the message to being the proclaimers of the message. You, who were evangelized, have now become evangelists. And it seems like the message is ringing out from them, not merely in just word, but also by example. That the Thessalonians are proclaiming the gospel, but the text seems to suggest that it's not just by words, but also by actions. That the gospel is not just something that is heard, it also is something that can be seen in a transformed life. That there's proclamation, those are words, but then there's incarnation, those are deeds. And the good news of Jesus is shared by both manners. Both sides are essential in proper communication of the gospel, and that's what we see in the Thessalonian church, the message was ringing out. It was uh, reverberating by word and deed. And look at the extent of the reach of the gospel from the Thessalonians. He says, your faith in God has become known where? Everywhere. Paul says, I don't even need to tell people about your story. They've already heard it. So the message was shared so effectively, so thoroughly, that it was known everywhere. Now, the Apostle Paul is probably exaggerating to make a point here, but don't miss the point. The Thessalonian conversion, the story of their transformation, which we're about to pick up just a little more detail in just a second, was well known, and it was big news. Paul the evangelist, his job is to proclaim the gospel, is saying, your story is ringing out so loudly that I no longer need to tell it. Everyone is already aware. And he has seen now these Thessalonians that he has evangelized do the work of evangelism. You know, there's something we can learn here. That true transformation testifies to the life-changing power of Jesus. True conversion. Authentic belief will evidence itself in such a way that it clearly points to Jesus, a life changed by Jesus is an undeniable force. A soul genuinely saved by Christ is hard to keep quiet. Let's pause here. A good moment of personal evaluation. Is the good news of Jesus, the life-changing, transformational power of Jesus ringing out from your life? 
Is the power and conviction of the Lord so evident in your life that others can't help but see the Lord in you? Is your walk with the Lord testifying to others about his power? Or is it creating suspicion? You know, for some of us, we verbally claim faith, but we live a life that's hypocritical. And it causes confusion in people because they don't see Jesus in the way that we talk or the way that we treat people or the way that we act. So is your life testifying to the powerful and transformational nature of Jesus? Well, back to the passage. Let's go back to verse nine. And we'll pick up the second description of Paul's gratefulness for the Thessalonians. They were a people who were turning. Verse nine says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols. You know, a big part of the Thessalonian story is that they were um, a people who turned. They turned after they received the the gospel from worshiping idols to worshiping the Lord. They experienced this huge shift in what they were focusing on and what they were uh, trusting in. It was a 180 degree turn from their former way of life. Turning is a fundamental part of the faith. In order to turn from God, we often have to turn away from other things. The theological word for this is repentance, and it captures the thought of both turning away and mourning over what we were trusting in. That was a false source of our devotion. Author Eugene Peterson said this about the turning. The first step towards God is a step away from the lies of the world. In order for us to follow Jesus, we often have to change directions. Saying yes to Jesus may mean saying goodbye to our former way of living or thinking. It calls for us to issue a cease and desist order to old places and old habits and old things. And for the, for the Thessalonians, they were turning away from idol worship. They had slipped into worshiping the creation as opposed to worshiping the creator. And before you judge them too strictly for worshiping things carved of wood and stone, don't forget that we too easily slip into idol worship. Tim Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than the Lord. And for us, idols are a dime a dozen You can worship your work, make an idol of your money, your hobby, your kids' activities, your relationships, your politics, your food, your sexuality. These are the things we turn from. Let's pause right here. Is there anything in your life right now that you know you need to turn away from? Something has crept into your life that comes in between you and the Lord and you know that it's sin and you know that it's distracting you or pulling you away from him. Maybe a habit, a possession, a relationship, a pursuit. And like the Thessalonians, you need to turn from that and turn back to the Lord. Well, look at the last part of verse nine. Not only did they turn away from idol worship, but they turned to serving the living and true God, which is just the opposite of an idol. An idol is not living and an idol is not true. And so they turn to serving the true God. Following Jesus is not just about getting past the bad stuff. 
Following Jesus is not just about repenting from mistakes and and turning away from sin or, or temptations. Yes, it involves a rejection of the old life, but after the turning comes the serving. And the Thessalonians found a proper object of worship to replace their idols, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was appreciating the Thessalonians for taking a proper posture before the Lord. They were now living in service to the king, bowing a knee to him, pledging allegiance to him and him alone. You know, many churches today are filled with religious consumers who come asking the question, what can the church offer me? How can the ministries here better my life? And we don't see that here in the Thessalonians. Paul commends them for being servants of the Lord. Servants ask the question of the Lord, what can I do to serve you? We'll look at the last description, verse 10. Not only were they proclaiming, not only were they turning, not only were they serving, but he describes them as waiting. They were waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The first chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends as all of the chapters in 1 Thessalonians end. All of them end with the return of the Lord or a warning about the coming judgment. 1 Thessalonians contains a lot of references to the end times. And this verse reminds us that followers of Jesus are people in waiting. We are waiting for the glorious return of our Lord We are people who live in the in-between. We live in between the first advent that began at Bethlehem and ended with an empty tomb. And we are in between the second coming of the Lord. So we're people in waiting. We are people who live this day in light of that day. We are people who have lived with hope. We are people who live with expectation. Well, Paul's been pouring on the praise, hasn't he? He's appreciating the Thessalonians. He's big on them. These first 10 verses contain a lot of uh, points where Paul is catching them doing something right. Paul believed in this church. He knew that they were profoundly changed by radical faith in the Lord, that they had received the message with deep conviction, and they had gotten on track quickly to joining his ministry team. True transformation, like what happened in Thessalonica testifies, it sounds forth, it reverberates the life-changing power of Jesus. Hey, I want to close by sharing with you a vision, sharing with you a dream, a hope that I have for our church. And let me start by sharing with you what I don't have hope for. My dream is not that we would become the largest church in Northwest Arkansas or in the South, or in our country. I'm not impressed with big churches. And my dream is not that we would become a well-known church, that we would become a famous church, or that any of our staff would become a Christian rock star in the American Christian culture. Not my hope, not my dream. And my dream is not that we would become the I don't even know the right word, hippest or coolest church. I'm not gonna wear skinny jeans or a low-cut V. Get over it. 
But I do have a dream. That we would be an authentic church. People who love the Lord and have been transformed to such an extent that everyone in Northwest Arkansas would know it and be drawn to it. A dream of a student ministry that's so healthy, a children's ministry that's so healthy that when families move here, our realtors say, I see you have kids. Take them to Pleasant Grove Road. They know the Lord. A dream of a, a teaching ministry that doesn't just proclaim it by word, but lives it by deed. A dream of small groups in every neighborhood in Northwest Arkansas that love and serve their neighbors to such an extent that people are drawn to walk across the street to your neighborhood to see what the Lord's doing. Does that sound like the kind of church you want to be a part of? See, I think that's the kind of church that the Apostle Paul would be grateful for. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, that's what we want to be. A church that you would commend. A church that you would appreciate. A church that you would give a shout out to. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be a church that pleases or is appreciated by the world but one that captures your heart. And so, Lord, I pray that individually and corporately, Lord, you would capture our hearts to such an extent that your gospel message reverberates from us. It rings loudly from us, starting here in Rogers and around the world. Oh, we'll give you all the credit. And we want to make your name and your name alone in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stood before creation Eternity
offer our life to you as we sing that you are worthy of praise forevermore that you are the lion and the lamb that you conquered sin and death and one day that victory will be complete Christ comes again we share in our inheritance of faith together until that day may we be people of your word would we walk by your spirit glorify your name. We love you and we thank you for this time. May it carry on into our week. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship. Our prayer room is open this morning. If you'd like prayer, go in peace in the love of Christ.